Texas Tech basketball got a convincing win over an Eastern Washington team that we gave a lot of respect to. Does it ease the concerns regarding the rotation and the point guard position? We'll discuss it coming up on today's Locked on Texas Tech. You are locked on Texas Tech, your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Texas Tech, a member of the Locked On Network. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. I'm Ryan Mainville. I cover Texas Tech for the Dallas Morning News. And I'm joined by my co-host, good friend, and longtime Texas Tech analyst, Emery Lida. It is Thursday. We are recording this on a Wednesday right after Texas Tech wrapped up a dominant 32 victory over Eastern Washington. We're going to break down all the notable things from that game, as well as kind of how this game could ease concerns or maybe create new ones for Texas Tech's season. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. Texas Tech, big victory today, 78 to 46 over Eastern Washington. Emory, I think you had this as a six-point win for Tech. I think I had this as a maybe 11 or 12 win for Tech. We really expected this team to play better. A lot of that had to do with Steel Venters and just, just the player he's been this season. But he, sh- he made just two buckets tonight, two for seven from deep. That's far below his average on the year. Just six points. Texas Tech continues to limit the opponent's best players. This Eastern Washington team is really long and really tall. That did not show up in the box score today. Um, Texas Tech out-rebounded Eastern Washington. They were plus 12 on the boards, and they had a 40-4 points in the paint advantage. Uh, Allow me to repeat that. 40-4. Texas Tech scored 36 more points in the paint than Eastern Washington, which is just ridiculous. The defense looked a lot better tonight. There weren't a lot of lapses. Um, You really limited what this Eastern Washington team could do from the perimeter. They were just eight of 35 from deep. That's 23%. And from the field, they were 14 for 53. That's 26%. Texas Tech just put them through the gauntlet in the second half. Eastern Washington went six of 29 in the second half. That's 21%. Red Raiders looked really strong in this one. I think that there's maybe some more that you'd like to see just playing a game through the second half. But overall, a good win over a team that I know we were both watching very closely as we were previewing this matchup. Yeah, I think the first half for Tech was absolutely phenomenal. You were able to pull out a 23-point advantage going into halftime on only 29 possessions. So it's a a little bit of a slower game than I think Eastern Washington would have liked to play, particularly in the second part of the first half. And I mean, offensively, everything was going right. You were shooting a really high percentage from inside. Obviously, the 40 to 4 paint discrepancy is nuts. And in the first half, the ball movement was really well. Weren't a lot, wasn't a lot of turnovers. Guys were shooting well, making good decisions. Everything seemed to be clicking offensively. 
But defensively, I mean, you held Steel Venters to two of seven from three, two of nine overall. He got in a little bit of foul trouble, which I think hurt, but your the ability to put ball pressure on him and keep him from feeling comfortable really seemed to take over the game in the second half, especially. And I mean, when you look at the box score, I mean, Eastern Washington shot 26% from the field. And in the second half, it was even worse than the first half. But in the first half, I mean, it started out where they were getting some open looks up. But by the end of it, the communication was almost flawless. The closeouts were as good as I think I've seen them all season. And I think in general, I mean, you have to be really impressed with the efforts on both sides of things because offensively, this is a tech team that has struggled at times, even against teams that weren't so weren't so good. And Eastern Washington's defense has not been particularly great this season, but they had the length to be able to disturb you. They were they came into this game only allowing opponents to shoot around 30% from three. And you were able to get really good looks around the perimeter. I mean, even though you didn't take a lot of them throughout the game and focused a lot more on the pain attack, you still shot 40%. And that's not even including Kevin O'Banner three that got wiped off the board because of an offensive foul. So as a whole, there was a lot to like on both ends. And I think it kind of, it was a needed victory after what we saw against Gonzaga, where the team really just struggled to get anything going off defensively and defensively the perimeter rotations were not there this was a step in the right direction and especially against a team that thrives off of those threes and pace and the pace of play being able to have such a flawless game was something that was really good and important to move on to before conference play yeah and you look at the texas tech box score and it, it's really balanced i mean there was really nobody who had to play hero ball tonight you've got kevin o'banner who had a really good game 11 points, 7 boards, 4 assists to no turnovers. That's a really strong line for him. Davion Warren had 9 points, got into foul trouble, though, um, picking up back-to-back fouls, which I think made Mark Adams not very happy. Bryson Williams, a better game. Again, continuing that trend of performing well against non-conference competition and lower competition. He's got to be able to translate it to conference play, though. He had 12 points on 5 of 8 shooting, knocked down 2 big 3s. Kevin McCuller, 10 points, three boards, five assists, one turnover. That's impressive. Adonis Arms continues to be an absolute roller coaster of a basketball player. He had 12 points on five of six shooting, including one where he just like bulldozed his way to the rim and, and somehow made a shot. He had four boards, one assist, and four turnovers to go along with that performance. So kind of all over the place there. Pretty strong performance from Marcus Santos Silva with eight points off the bench. Got some more Clarence Nadolny burn. You know, he's not always going to put up the most insane offensive line, but he was active on defense tonight. Daniel Bacho, kind of a quiet night for him as well. Sardar Calhoun got some burn. Man, there's a lot of guys that that got some run here, and and nobody really did anything phenomenal. You didn't have anybody drop a 20-piece. Nobody really filled out the box score too well. Um, But, you know, my, my player of the game... I I really wanted to pick Adonis Arms here cuz I I feel like he was just very tangibly impacting the game at a variety of points but I've got to go Kevin O'Banner in this one. Took a lot of high percentage shots, got to the rim a lot, got to the free throw line, seven boards, four assists and no turnovers. That's a really big performance from him. Would like to see him continue to be a little bit more aggressive on offense, but that really just depends on Texas Tech's offense cuz he Really struggles to create his own offense off the dribble, but Kevin O'Banner is going to be my player of the game. Yeah, I think O'Banner's a really good, really good choice. I think the word that comes to mind for me was efficient because almost everything that he did in this game was very efficient, whether it be 
taking his own shots from deep or creating for others and really kind of finding better opportunities. Like his game in this one was very focused on getting the right shot, playing smart basketball. I think that was needed. I think it helped out the team as a whole. I think my player of the game, I'm going to go with Kevin McCuller. I feel like he took a step in the right direction in this one, both as an off-ball cutter and as a playmaker. Early on in the first half, there were a couple of actions where Eastern Washington briefly tried a little bit of zone, and McCuller's experience as a cutter allowed him to get One of them was a dunk attempt where he got fouled. I believe one of them was a mid-range pull-up that went in. But as a whole, his ability to kind of feel out the offense was impressive, and then as well as that as a ball handler. I mean, you have five assists to one turnover, and that matched the that matched what the score looked like and how the game kind of flowed. It felt like he was making good decisions. He had a nice dump off pass to Kevin O'Banner that was really nice in the first half. And I think as a whole, like his maturity as a passer was very good in this in this game. And I mean, obviously you had the fluky three-point shot that he hit that was probably the highlight of the game. But as a whole, it was a very solid all-around effort from him. And I think it's hard to choose in this game because I genuinely think there weren't many negatives per se, but I'll go with McCuller just because I think his all-around game was probably the most impactful. It's a solid pick. I, I noticed that posi- the possession where they uh, Eastern Washington suddenly flipped to that 2-3 zone and he just got right to the basket. And that's exactly what you want to see from him is just continuing to be aggressive. And then that no-look pass on the break was really, really nice. So McCuller is a solid pick. Coming up next, we're going to talk about some of the weird things that are happening in Mark Adams' rotation. But first, a word from our sponsors. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours, but on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Do you have poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and so much more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. NetSuite can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, Through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for a special end of year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That's netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA. Thanks again for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Be sure to check out the Ultimate College Football Playoff Preview for 2021. There's local experts, betting advice, and draft analysis. It's the most comprehensive college football playoff preview, and it begins this Friday. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. But, man, I'm I'm really intrigued by what Mark Adams is doing with his rotation right now. There's a lot of really weird pieces, and obviously you have to factor in the just the reality that your team's a little banged up right now. You don't have Terrence Shannon Jr. You probably won't see him again until conference play would be my guess because you just don't need to risk him against Alabama State. Um, Miley Wilson is going to be out for a few weeks. Marcus Santos Silva is dealing with a toe injury. He checked in a little bit later than is typical for him, but he played pretty well tonight. You've got guys like Clarence Nadolny that are all of a sudden playing like 20-plus minutes a game. Sardar Calhoun is like the last guy off the bench. 
KJ Allen got a ton of minutes in this game for some reason. And then Austin Temperman suited up and checked in at, at like the final few minutes of this game. So there, there is a lot of very confusing things happening in Mark Adams rotation right now. And Emery, I mean, just, just try and help me make sense of, of what we're seeing right now. And I am as lost as you are when it comes to this rotation. And like, I'm sure Mark Adams has a reason for everything he does, but like some of the stuff that we saw in this game was really confusing to me because in the perspective of looking at a guy like Nadolny, last game against Gonzaga, he got 29 minutes. He got over 20 minutes tonight. He really looked like someone that had really was in integral to the rotation. Like, Normally, sometimes you'll see guys that play and only get, like, 20 minutes, but it's all with, like, certain guys kind of bench warmers, and maybe they play a few minutes with the actual starting guys. But Nadolny was integrated into the rotation. And then you had guys like K.J. Allen, who kind of came in for a little bit, little spurts early on, and then came in at the end, obviously, when the game was out of hand. And then you had Chibuzo Agbo, who got, like, 10 seconds of run four minutes into the game, then you didn't see him again until it was basically garbage time. So Ryan Calhoun basically didn't play until garbage time. Same thing with Temperman. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me how with KJ Allen, it was kind of like in, integrating him in little spurts. So Nadolmi suddenly gone into basically a full-fledged rotation member. And you're still playing the two big lineups at all times, but now you've started integrating KJ Allen into this game where he was playing a lot with Marcus Santos Silva and to a lesser degree with Bryson Williams. Like, there's just so many moving parts, and I feel like guys like Buzo, for example, who aren't necessarily in the rotation, are kind of just getting inserted randomly for, like, 10 to 20 seconds and then not playing again. And it kind of it falls in line with what we've seen in years past, I feel like. Like, I remember when Malik Andigo was here, it used to be similar sort of stuff with him where he would get occasionally put in for a couple of minutes in the actual rotation and then basically want to play again until garbage time. And that was kind of their token guy to use. Avery Benson had a kind of similar role where he would just play like randomly, random like one or two minute spurts. And it was thought to bring a lot of energy. But having someone like Nadolmi suddenly becoming a full-fledged rotation member out of nowhere and getting 20 plus minutes really confuses me. So, I mean... It is what it is. We'll see if that continues into conference play, but it's certainly something that's very confusing, and I'm not exactly sure where it's going. Yeah, the most surprising part to me is Clarence Ndolny just automatically becoming like a key piece of the rotation. I mean, I, I would not have projected this at the beginning of the season. Um, we We kind of know who he is offensively, and that's not much right now. He does he does some playmaking and bursts, but he's just kind of been the guy that he is on offense for three years now. But what he does defensively is really valuable for your team, and that's where he just continues to play really hard and make an impact in the game. So in that sense, it, I mean, it makes sense to be seeing him more and more, but it is really surprising for him to be playing as much as he has been. I mean, you mentioned Benson and like those bursts that he would play. He was kind of like the guy that you knew you could check in and he would play hard, maybe give your team some life. And that's Clarence in a sense, but now we're seeing Clarence play 20 plus minutes every night. I think part of it is you're down a guard right now. You're you're without Wilson and you will be for, for a while. But what Wilson provided most for your team was playmaking. That That's not Clarence's strength. Clarence's strength is going to be energy and defense and just 
playing really hard. And I mean, I, I texted you in the first half. I was just really confused by the subs and just said, like, I don't, I don't really know what's going on. And I also don't really know if I disagree with it. I think that what we, what we saw today was a lot of moving pieces, trying to just get guys a little bit of burn um, before Christmas break, keep guys healthy. Your team's already thin. Keep everybody energized, fresh legs. I don't think that this is a trend that will continue into conference play. Specifically, like, if we see Austin Temperman play in a Big 12 game this season, I, I'm going to just be the most surprised person on, on the face of the planet. That would legitimately blow my mind. I don't think that we'll see KJ Allen be um, a very frequented player if if he plays really on any high usage at all. Chibuzo Agbo and Sardar Calhoun kind of seem to be the odd men out at this point of Mark Adams' rotation, especially Calhoun. I think he's the last guy off the bench right now. And I'm I'm just a little bit confused by the by this uh, rotation. But I mean, look at the guys that you've got. You've got Santos Silva, Bacho, Nadolny, Arms, McCuller, Williams, Warren, and O'Banner. So that's five, six, seven, eight. That's eight guys. So not a ton to be dealing with right now. I think those are those are guys that will be rotation players in Big 12 play. You add in Miley Wilson, he'll absorb some of Clarence's minutes. You add in um, Shannon, he'll absorb some of Arm's minutes. But that that's still 10 players at the most. Um, and so I think what you're looking at now is a team that's probably going to be running a nine-man rotation in the conference play. And as I'm very weirded out by what I saw today and just don't really know how to make sense of it. And I'm sure I'll be even more surprised during the Alabama state game as Texas tech just tries to stay whole. I think that game is four days before they play Oklahoma state. So that'll be a big one to keep legs fresh, but yeah, I, I think what we're seeing right now is not something that I would expect to see as soon as big 12 play comes around. Yeah. And it's worth noting in a similar game last year against our incarnate word, the first game Kevin McCuller came back, we saw some really strange lineups in that one. And that was one where you saw lineups where like Buzo was at the five with TJ and McCuller at the three and the four. And he basically ran a five, five guard and wing lineup and he ran it for a significant amount of time. And like you, those sorts of lineups you see occasionally in non-conference play, especially in these bye games that are coming up right before Christmas, especially when you have guys out or you guys just returning from injury. But even then, I mean, the sporadicness and kind of randomness of substitution in this game was very surprising to me. But I think at the same time, you just have to look forward to conference play and realize that it's probably not going to be the same because I just can't see a guy like KJ Allen getting any minutes. And I think even with Buzo and Calhoun, like he feasibly can't run an 11 or 12 man rotation. It just hasn't really been in the nature of Mark Adams or under Chris Beard as well, just to be able to run that sort of lineup where you're basically running full-on substitutions every three minutes. So, I mean, I think we'll see anywhere from an eight to 10 man rotation in conference, depending on who's available and kind of who's been playing well. But certainly the eight guys playing now are all going to factor into the rotation. And I'm, you might see some Calhoun and some Buzo, but it's just going to be difficult for them to crack the rotation consistently. Anything deeper than nine would be pretty pretty uncommon, not just for a Texas Tech team, but for a lot of teams in the Big 12. So expect things to be cut down a bit once Oklahoma State game rolls around. But 
Coming up next, we're going to wrap up today's episode by talking about Texas Tech's struggles at the point guard position. Bet Online has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Okay, I've been wanting to be. Uh, just entering the discussion on Texas Tech's point guard situation for a while now. Today might not be the best day to do it because the ball movement looked a lot better against Eastern Washington. Offense looked a lot more efficient as a whole, a lot more fluid, but we're going to do it anyways because I want to. Um, I've been watching very closely a lot of data, a lot of analysis on Texas Tech's offense this season from guys like Evan Maya, JG Trends. Man, shout out to those guys. Go give their work some love. They work really, really hard. So go follow them on Twitter and and check out what they do. They do great stuff at contextualizing the numbers that we see on the court. And what a lot of them are are showing, a lot of these numbers and a lot of these graphs, is that Texas Tech is trying to do a lot of off-ball offensive sets. So things like cuts, things like um, off-ball catch-and-shoot threes. And it's just not working. And I think what those trends are showing and bringing to light is what a lot of people thought was going to be an issue, which is Texas Tech's point guard situation. It was one that we addressed in the offseason as we were still no middle madness. We talked about it. I think both of us were a little bit more optimistic about the situation, judging by Malik Wilson and just the player that he was. I was a little bit more cautious about Kevin McCuller playing point guard than I think a lot of people were, but... I mean, here we are. Texas Tech's offense has struggled at times this season to create high-quality shots, showing in their efficiency numbers. Their offense looks a little bit stuck at times. It's not not really comparable to the motion that we saw last year under Chris Beard, but it, it does get slow and it does get stuck in a way that the motion had a tendency to. And I think against Eastern Washington, you really saw a way to subsidize that. You saw the ball moved very quickly around. I, I think it was almost Texas Tech feeding off of what Eastern Washington was doing a little bit. They were moving the ball really, really well. They reminded me almost of a Greg Popovich team, but I think Texas Tech got some of that juice and wanted to do the same. So they moved the ball around a lot, drove to the basket, kicked it out to the wings to get open shooters the ball. Kevin McCuller had a really good cut towards the basket. We mentioned that play on the zone. You've got to be aggressive. This this team functions best whenever you have a bunch of these gadgety players and they play aggressive, they get to the rim, they either shoot free throws, kick it out to an open guy, or make a basket. Those are your three good options. There are a lot of bad options that can happen, but this team has the talent to do it, and that's why I was kind of less worried about the point guard situation than I think a lot of people were, which I'm now saying might not have been the best decision because even Mark Adams was telling us hey, this might be an issue for us. But I think Texas Tech has, for sure, room to grow here. They really need Malik Wilson back. 
they really need Terrence Shannon back. I think Shannon's role on this team as a primary ball handler has been one of the most underrated storylines for this team all year. I mean, he he has been a pivotal part of making their offense flow. And so they really need him back. But there's a lot of question marks right now about the point guard position. I'm I'm a li- I'm still holding out hope. I, I don't think that Texas Tech's offense is broken. I don't think that they're doomed. I think that they need Malik Wilson back. They need Terrence Shannon Jr. back, and they need to keep playing aggressive. They have the talent to ease off of the the errors and the issues that come as a result of this, but they've just they've just got to make it work. Like that's really what it comes down to. They've got to play the style of offense that will allow them to kind of bury these issues. Yeah, and I think with Terrence Shannon coming back, that's a real big benefit because I mean Kevin McCuller is for all intents and purposes the point guard, like by letter of the law, but when you look at how they actually function, TJ's taken on a lot of the primary ball handler assignments throughout the season. And I mean, I don't think he's necessarily the natural playmaker that McCuller is, but certainly he's improved a ton in that aspect. And his burst and ability to get to the rim is something that's really really important for this team and I think as he gets more comfortable driving and kicking it's going to open up more opportunities to get more open three-point looks I think it was something you saw in this game especially in the first half there was a lot of driving kick action a lot of ball movement and swinging coming from those driving kick opportunities and that's something that going forward in conference play is going to be very important because I think in the Tennessee and Gonzaga games and especially against Providence, you saw a lot of times the ball got stagnant in the half-court sets. And that's something where you're probably not going to be able to run real sophisticated set play offense just because you don't have a lead guard. But that's okay because at the end of the day, like there's only a handful of true point guards in the country that can function at a real high level in a set offense. And the rest of the teams out there are generally doing to some degree what tech is doing this season and just kind of running it by committee and running guys that maybe aren't the most natural playmakers in that sort of point guard primary ball handler position and i mean there are teams out there that have been really successful with that approach this year you look at what duke is doing they've got wendell moore running the as a primary ball handler and completely transforming his game and i think that's what tech can do with a guy like tj shannon or maybe kevin mcculler as well and just running a lot of their offense through those short those sort of driving kick sets, getting a lot of ball motion, as opposed to maybe not a pure motion offense like Tech ran under Chris Beard, but running more of just emphasizing the ball movement, emphasizing a lot of off-ball player motion and cut. Or, wow, I said motion, but at the end of the day, it's also like there's a lot more purposeful cuts and back screen designs that we've seen the last couple of games that I think are going to be useful. And I mean, I'm still worried about the ball handling because I think that there's deficiencies either in the ability for players to drive. I feel like that's maybe a little bit of a weakness with McCuller. Certainly, Adonis Arms can get out of control at times with that. And then there's also some playmaking deficiencies where guys maybe aren't as comfortable as playmakers as you would like a ball handler to have. So in that sense, it's still a developing situation. I think you're going to have times when this offense gets in a funk because Again, you've got guys that are adjusting to new roles. Obviously, you still have the issue where they haven't played a ton together. Even then, you're still just now getting into January. And if you look at the offenses in the past for Tech, there's been similar struggles early in the season. The 2019 offense, Jared Clover, that ran a lot of primary ball handler actions, really didn't hit their stride until midway through February. 
February. And I think at the end of the day, that's just where it's going to be down to gaining comfort, guys getting more comfortable with roles. And I think over time, the offense is going to evolve. It just might not be a finished product from day one, and you're going to have some of those long early in conference play. A few things I want to see as Big 12 play kind of rolls rolls into your your main bulk of your schedule now. I want to see Davion Warren play a little bit more aggressive and playmaking-centric on offense. I think he's been really good at going and getting buckets. I'd like to see him make a couple passes and find the open man because I've seen him do that both at Tech and at Hampton. He's He's got a really good basketball IQ, so we'd like to see some more of that. I want to see Terrence Shannon Jr. get used more in primary ball handler sets, plays that are designed to allow him to run the offense. And I want to see Kevin McCuller be a little bit more aggressive at getting to the basket. He did that during those first six games of the season, and it looked unstoppable at times. I don't know how it'll translate against Big 12 athletes, but I think it's still an effective strategy. Is there anything that you're watching kind of as Big 12 comes underway that you think will help ease off these issues? I mean, I agree with you. I think looking at Davion more and more as a playmaker is something that I want to see because he certainly has the potential to do it. I mean, the assist to turnover ratio at Hampton didn't look great. And even this year, he's had times where he's had multiple turnover games. But you look at his feel as a ball handler, and he makes pretty high-level reads and passes. So it's not like it's not there. It's just a matter of putting everything together and kind of playing him through that role. So I want to see that. I also think just judging based off of how much Terrence Shannon gets the primary ball handle responsibilities, I think we'll get a good idea of how much how much trust he has in his passing ability and how much faith the staff has of him to run an effective offense. Because a lot of times with TJ running as a primary ball handler, we've seen it devolve into a lot of isolation play. And I don't think it has to be that per se. I think he's shown the potential to make high-level reads. He's certainly shown multiple very nice passes over the course of the season. And I think his passing ability has taken another step this year compared to last year. So I think just seeing that evolution, seeing how often he's being put in those sets is going to be something for me to watch. And lastly, I think if Miley Wilson can play as a primary ball handler consistently, that'd be great because I think he's probably got the best vision on the team. His pure passing ability might not be what that of, say, McCuller has, but his actual ability to read the court and process is very impressive. But I'm not sure if he's going to be more of a primary role or if he'll stick to more of a secondary role, which has been what he's really been good at this year. I mean, the early games where he was able to rack up the highest to turnover ratio really came from him being just an elite secondary ball handler and maybe not being the guy that runs through primary sets, but being the guy that can facilitate the offense as a secondary handler. Yeah, a lot to improve upon for Texas Tech as conference opponents draw near, but a lot that feels very tangible to correct. So we'll be watching those games very, very quickly. We will be back tomorrow with a little bit of a lighter episode, maybe have a little bit of a holiday theme, Um, but then we'll be back in the thick of it next week, previewing Texas Tech's bowl game against Mississippi State and Mike Leach. Got lots of content playing there. So make sure you're locked on to our feeds. Ha, gotcha. Make sure you are following and subscribed to our feeds on whatever platform you listen on. If you can, leave us a review wherever you listen. Helps us get the podcast in front of more people. Share this with your loved ones that you will be spending lots of good time with this season. 
Um, and keep up with us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Figure out what you like, what you hate about this show. Trust me, I, I want to hear it all. You can follow me on Twitter at rmainvillelbk. You can follow Emery at eracer41. And follow our Locked On Texas Tech Twitter at Locked On TTU. We want to hear from you. We want your feedback. The, the show is for you. So let us know what you're liking and what you're not liking. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Now go make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms, just like Locked On Texas Tech. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.